So to me, one of the coolest things about getting older, (laughs) it's not even the punchline, you guys, come on. (laughs) So far in my life, one of the coolest things about getting older is being able to look back on my childhood and see these little clues as to the person I was going to become. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. Look back at things that you were curious about, hobbies you had, and go, oh, there was something there. It was trying to tell me something. I was raised completely non-religious. My parents had both left the faiths of their childhood by the time I was born. And yet here I am. (laughs) So something was going on. And when I look back, there are all these little clues that I was curious about faith or spirituality. Anybody remember Gennardi's Locals? Yeah. I think it's Safeway now. Sad. Pour one out for Gennardi's on your way home. Um, Gennardi's was the chain grocery store in the area when I was growing up, and they always had this little circular cart thing uh, by the checkouts that had inspirational books and bookmarks and wall decorations, and they had these scrolls that looked a lot like this. That's a very modern version now with arrows and wood and stuff. It was more like precious moments back then, pastel colors and flowers. But they sold these little scrolls. Some of them had Bible quotes. Some of them had poetry on them. And I collected them. I would go into the Gennardi's when I was seven, eight, nine years old and run to that little kiosk and see if there were new ones out. And I had them hung up on the wall opposite my bed in my bedroom arranged. And right in the middle, my favorite one, was the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer, which now, of course, I didn't write down. It's escaping me how it starts. God grant me... God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. What nine-year-old has the serenity prayer on their wall? So there were clues, is what I'm saying. And the other big clue from my childhood was my favorite movie that I am preaching about in our Spirit Flick series for today. Ken is away on vacation, and so I'll be preaching this week and next week. And I decided to do a little mini throwback series. You'll see what the movie is next week. It's not Sister Act 2. I was tempted, but I didn't do it. But I loved this movie, Sister Act. I have probably seen it 25 or 30 times. I didn't need to rewatch it this week. For the message. And part of why I loved it was probably because it's a musical and I was always into musicals. But I was also fascinated by this idea of the nuns in their convent. This idea that these women had this strong devotion to a particular way of life, this sense of community and family that they created themselves. They had matching outfits. I have known in my life now three people who are former nuns. Actually, two of them are now UU ministers, believe it or not. And one of them was my high school calculus teacher. And they all said that what drew them into that way of life originally was that they wanted to be part of a community that took community seriously, that wore on their bodies, that showed so clearly how devoted they were to that idea of building community together. That appealed to them. And at different levels, I think that's part of what spiritual community promises all of us. Obviously, we're not a convent here at Wellsprings. 
We don't have matching outfits except for Jill and Andrea today. <laughs> Look when they get up at the end. But we, I think, are all craving something like a community that takes itself seriously as a community, that practices what it means, that community muscle, we build that when we come together. Thich Nhat Hanh, whose words we read every week before our meditation, has a beautiful book about the value of this kind of community called Friends on the Path, Living Spiritual Communities. He says, our modern society creates so many people without roots. They are uprooted from their families and their communities, and they wander around, not quite full human beings because they do not have roots. Quite a number of them, he says, come from broken families and are hurt. They may feel rejected by society. They live on the margins, looking for a home, for something to belong to. They are like trees without roots, he says. And just like plants, if we don't root in the ground somewhere, all of us, we might be able to get by, right? We might be able to survive moving from pot to pot. But without roots in the ground, it is much harder to grow. It's much harder to grow to our full size, our full potential. It's funny because Unitarian Universalism in this kind of last couple decades has gotten really into using this metaphor of roots and wings, to talk about how each of us has this roots and wings sense to us, which sounds really nice until you really think about it. You know, the metaphor doesn't quite pan out because how would that work, right? (laughs) Wings are all about freedom. Wings help you fly away. And roots are all about grounding and staying put. These two things are definitely parts of our lives at different times. But they don't actually work together. They work in tension, with each other. There are so many things I could talk about from this movie. I was tempted to have the band learn Hail Holy Queen, but they don't need to learn that. They will never sing it again. I held myself back. So instead, I want to focus on these two characters from the film that represent this kind of roots and wings energy and tension. On the left there, if you've seen the movie, that's the mother superior of the convent, played by, which I didn't quite actually realize, I think, until this week, Maggie Smith. Dame Maggie Smith was the mother superior in Sister Act. Professor McGonagall and Harry Potter, Dowager Countess and Downton Abbey. She had a pretty good run, huh, after this movie. (laughs) Mother superior holds down the roots energy in this film. And then Sister Mary Clarence, played by Whoopi Goldberg, who I think now we know best, unfortunately, from The View, but was a very successful actress in films in the 90s. She really carries this energy of the wings. These characters in the movie come into contact when Sister Mary Clarence, whose real name, I believe, is Dolores Van Cartier, Cartier, she begins the movie as a Las Vegas showgirl who witnesses the murder Uh, of someone in her Las Vegas showgirl circle committed by her ex-boyfriend mobster. And so as part of the witness protection program in this area, she gets put into this convent to save her life before she testifies. It was the 90s. Weird plots back then. 
And so here they are, these two very different people. There's a Zen Buddhist proverb that I know Reverend Ken has referenced many times in his messages here. How you do anything is how you do everything. These two women have very different ways of doing anything. And that plays out in their time together. Maggie Smith's character, like I said, all about the roots. She is faithful. She is grounded. She is systematic. She's literally dogmatic. And Whoopi Goldberg's character is all wings. She's creative and she's spontaneous and she's moody and volatile. And so this, you know, it could have gotten real ugly between them. And it it did for a little while in the movie. In the beginning, Whoopi Goldberg's character breaks all the rules. And Maggie Smith's character fights her all the way. She tries all different things. She tries to intimidate her. She tries to keep her quiet. And then she thinks, I've got a good plan. I'll occupy her by putting her in our choir. Not a good plan, it turns out. Because the former Vegas showgirl... Getting into the choir at this convent, suddenly she sees this place where she can spread her wings. And she takes off doing all kinds of things that the mother superior thinks is completely unholy and inappropriate. But it turns out that the choir, with that wings energy, actually does something new for this dying Catholic church. It brings in kids off the street. It gets the convent and the nuns back in touch with their community. They have an awesome montage of cleanup and, you know, taking down the graffiti on the walls. It's a great 90s montage. I think CNC Music Factory did the song. And they start building relationships with their neighbors again. It starts to change them. Now, Maggie Smith's character being the rooted person that she is, is really not having it. Her character's way of doing anything is to hunker down and make it through, right? To resist the reality that she sees around her, to focus inward and define her circle and keep her people safe and happy. And so that's how she responds to this challenge. And I want to be really clear. I don't think either of them are wrong. Neither of them are wrong or bad for responding in the way that they do. They're just different. That proverb, how you do anything is how you do everything. We can hear that or we can use that in these pop spirituality circles in shaming ways, right? How you do anything is how you do everything, so you better get right with God. Ooh, jeez. <laughs> how you do anything is how you do everything, so you better start doing things better. Be more peaceful, right? Be more mindful. Accept impermanence right now. It's a little bit ridiculous. To me, that proverb is calling us to the same thing that the entire Buddhist tradition calls us to do, which is to wake up. To wake up to how we are. To notice. To notice our habits and to see the reality around us with clear eyes. That's it. Because, yes, how we do anything is usually how we do everything. And we can learn a lot from watching and knowing ourselves.
We also see, when we begin to watch ourselves, these habits that we carry. The value in our core universalist idea here at Wellsprings. That all of us need all of us. We are different. And that is beautiful. And it means that we can't do it all on our own. We were made this way. We're pieces of a larger whole. And as universalism says, we come together in communities like this because there's something in us that calls us back towards each other. Back, as some people would say, into the heart of God. And because we are different, we need that. We need each other. The Mother Superior's steadfastness and determination really came in handy for Whoopi when she dutifully accepted taking on the risk of having her come to this convent in the first place. It really came in handy for Whoopi when Whoopi got kidnapped at the end of the movie and the nuns needed to put themselves into harm's way to pursue and rescue her. That kind of doggedness and determination was what everyone needed. And Whoopi Goldberg's character, her willingness to tear it all down, to come in from left field, to be creative, to play, well, that ended up being the very thing that saved their dying convent. The promise of our faith is that none of us are wrong or bad to the core. We just can't do it all alone. We just need each other. That's all. Even roots and wings can work together in our plant metaphor. Because plants need roots to grow, but how do plants reproduce? Aha! With help from some winged beings, right? From birds, from bees, even from these little uh, helicopter seeds. Okay, so plants do have wings sometimes. Fine, there's one example. They work together. And it's okay, there's different parts of this big whole, and being in community helps us move it all forward. I think our roots are how we grow, but our wings are how we reproduce. And reproduction happens in all kinds of ways in addition to biological reproduction, right? Reproduction happens in our chosen families. It happens in our communities all the time, in the habits that we share with each other, in the practices we spread in the learning and the fruits of all that individual growth that we then give away to folks who can carry it farther than we ever could on our own. Some of you know that I attended our denomination's annual general assembly last month. Our church is a member congregation of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And once a year they bring together a couple thousand people in a big spiritual setting like a city conference center. (laughs) And I went for the fifth or sixth time, I think, this year. And some of you also know that I am very proudly and very clearly a self-defined church nerd. I have read every article there is to read about what is happening in American spirituality. I don't have a Google alert set up for millennials and church, but I don't need to because the Facebook algorithm has learned that I want to see all of those articles, and I always see them. And so part of what 
motivates my call in ministry is my sense that we are in a world of dying convents and congregations and denominations, but not of dying spirituality. There is so much evidence out there, actually, that people are still seeking some kind of soulful community, some kind of place to build their community muscle to practice what we get to practice here. But I will tell you, ever since I started on the path to ministry, back in 2009 now, almost 10 years ago, every study that's come out since then, the numbers go down. Denominational affiliation, church membership, church attendance, giving to religious institutions and seminaries. A lot of these places are closing their doors. It's really happening. There were two articles this week I read. One was on the On Being blog on NPR. You can look it up that quoted the latest statistics from the Barna Group, which does a lot of this research, 59% of 22 to 35-year-olds raised in the church have left. 59%. And only 20% of people in that age group believe it's important to be part of a congregation. So, even though I still fall in that age group for another two years, I don't have the answer But I was drawn to a place like Wellsprings because we were actually created when our denomination took a look around and saw that how we were doing anything had really become how we were doing everything and really threw a Hail Mary pass (laughs) and said, let's just try something different. And I don't know what working even means in terms of numbers or growth, but this is working for me. And I think it works for a lot of you. And I don't know where we're headed. I have no idea if anything like this is the answer to that question of what's next for spirituality, for faithful communities that come together. But I know that I like our wings mentality. What does that Zen proverb have to teach us as the movement? What do we need to wake up to? That was what was on my mind as I walked into General Assembly this year. And I was hopeful because a few things were happening. We're electing a new president of our denomination, which is a big symbol for what direction we're headed in in the future. But what I wanted to know even more than who was going to win the election was, are we finally willing to wrestle with our future? Are we finally willing to wrestle with how spiritual communities need to change to greet a future that's not just coming, it's actually already here, it's already arrived? And I didn't quite know how I would feel walking out of GA. Because we are already a little bit on the edge of our denomination's culture. We were created to be. I've had multiple people in our movement tell me they think our church isn't really UU. I'm genuinely not sure how to feel about that. The truth is, I love deeply our spiritual tradition and the heritage and the teaching that it represents. That tradition is so beautiful to me, but for all the reasons I just stated, I'm not sure I want to put all my eggs in our denominational institutions basket. Because it seems to me like whatever's coming next that will provide that spiritual community for generations after us may not even look like us, let alone the more traditional congregations in our movement. 
And I love my ministry because I am called to help birth what's next. That's why I want to be here. And I have no illusions that we can do it alone. But I do wonder who the right partners are on that journey. So I have to say I left more encouraged than I expected. I saw a lot of voices and heard a lot of voices from on stage at our General Assembly that were not the same old guard, not the same old voices, not all ministers, not all white men, not all from the same generation. There were three women running for president for the first time. And to a certain extent, they're all Maggie Smith types, right, because they're running for president of a denominational institution. But I cast my vote for what I thought was the whoopiest among them, and she won. (laughs) She did win. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the trick in our denomination is the same as it is in our congregations, which is that we are not a hierarchy. And there are so many good things about that. But aside from our new president's attitude and modeling and her ability to inspire, there's nothing she can do to enforce any kind of change. There's nothing she can really do to fundamentally change how our movement operates and prepares for the future. That is up to all of us. So living through and working out this tension between roots and wings is easier said than done. Even in the context of a 90-minute musical comedy from 1992, it's hard for Maggie and Whoopi to work it out. They really battle throughout this film. And even though Mother Superior realizes at the end the good that Sister Mary Clarence and the choir have done for the convent's mission that it will now live on, she still experiences right alongside that a sadness and a grief as she sees how things changed. For a moment in her hurt, the Mother Superior falls back on how she does anything, on duty and propriety, and she offers her resignation to the convent. She thinks her role has shifted forever and she no longer has a place. And Sister Mary Clarence, in that moment, makes a really key choice. She takes the risk to invite her to stay. Mother Superior makes an even scarier and braver choice to root deeper and to stay where she is. We can't do this all the time. Staying isn't always the right choice. It's not usually the right choice if it's not mutual, if both or all people aren't willing to walk that path together, and you can't carry someone else kicking and screaming down that path, though I'm sure we've all tried. But wow, what an experience of grace it is when we find the relationships where people are willing to practice the ability to stay through difficult change, through seismic things that require relearning and reconfiguring how we are with each other. What heart-bursting blessings those connections in our lives can be 
It's why I so admire the long marriages where people grow together over time. It's why I admire those parent-child relationships where forgiveness happens over and over and over and over again. It's why I admire those friendships that feel like the best of siblinghood, fighting and making up and showing up every time you get that phone call. We cannot stay like that in every relationship. We would lose our minds. But if we create a world of soulful communities where we develop the skills to practice, then eventually we just might have a world where every individual finds themselves in someone else's circle of love and care. Amen. And may you live in blessing.